This episode of the Juice Box Podcast contains frank discussion about alcohol. We also curse a lot, but it's beeped out. But I mean, it's still cursing. Like, you know, if I say, but it's beeped out like it just was, you can still tell I was saying. So, you know, consider that before you let your kids listen. Or if you're a little squeamish about stuff like that, consider it before you listen. But just know you're going to miss a fantastic conversation about real life issues surrounding type 1 diabetes. And I think if you're the parent of a child with type 1, this is the kind of stuff you're going to want to know for the future. If you're a kid right now experimenting with drinking, you definitely need to know this. And if you're just an adult who uh, likes to get a little boozy, might as well learn from a pro. And this episode isn't completely about drinking. We still learn about the guest and their upbringing and where they're from and how they got to where they are. I'm not a monster. I didn't just start yelling booze and talk for an hour. Actually, this one's like an hour and a half, but that's not what happened. It's still the juice box podcast you know and love. Nothing's different. For instance, you still shouldn't take anything you hear on the juice box podcast as advice, medical or otherwise. And you should, of course, always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Tell you what, though, we curse a lot. So if you like the cursing, it really starts to kick in around halfway. And then it's just motherfucker this and shit and fuck you. Actually, it's not a lot of that. It's just a couple curses. All right, guys, you ready? Here's what I was thinking, Maya, and you tell me if you're comfortable with it. And if you're not, I'll revert to my original idea. Okay. Are you comfortable doing like a a, a, a looser adult version of this conversation and I can just mark it for adults and bleep out cursing if we curse? Yeah, for sure. Okay. You just did something just now and whatever it was, it's louder than you expect it to be. So, oh, okay. Um, I have, let me just check something as the, um, headphones I'm using. If I'm not moving around, is it good or, well, I don't know what you're doing because I can't see you, but... Well, I'm actually changing my pod right now. <laughs> really? Well, go ahead and do that. I can hold... When I'm not changing my pod, I can just hold my speaker or my receiver thing away from um, away from my jacket. Yeah, that's all. Sometimes if you're wearing a corded headset with like just an Apple headset, if you start, mm -hmm. start moving and that mic hits your shirt, hits your hair or something like that, it just makes a, a sound that I hear that you don't hear. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, Great. Riley Link found the pod. Okay. Well, if we can hang on for just a second so I can get this pod on, then we Maya, should be good to go. Maya, I think this is the absolute perfect podcast for you to be changing your insulin pump as it starts. And by the way, I'm recording, so we're good. <laughs> So, okay, great. Yeah, you're absolutely fine. This is, um, it's actually kind of nice. Probably in a few minutes, we're going to stop and do Arden's insulin for her, uh, lunch too. Okay, great. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm cruising a, a little low too. So you'll probably hear me eat a date here. <laughs> that's excellent. I think that's uh, actually Arden's 71 and her blood sugar just shifted to a, um, like a diagonal down arrow. Yeah. And so I'm like, wondering what's about to happen. I really think she's about to go to lunch, which then I just love, I love the low as a pre-bolus and it's perfect, but. Um, it, it really works the best. You can't, you can never make it happen when you want it to. <laughs> and then 
you know, when it does, you're like, yeah, yes. perfect. I'm winning. Listen, can you talk while you're po- while you're swapping your pod? Oh yeah, right. yeah, for sure. So I'll just I'll lightly start chatting with you here, but um, and I don't want to take your focus away too much from what you're doing. Oh no, you're good. You're oh, good. Cool. I loved the way you reached out to me. <laughs> that idea that somebody you know it was is your husband is that who we're talking about or boyfriend? Yeah, my, my husband and one of my friends, two people told me that okay. this was my moment. So two people in your life, after hearing me on the podcast say, yep. I'm looking for a professional drunk, said, oh my God, Maya, it's your turn to be on the Juice Box podcast. <laughs> I know. It, it made me a little nervous, but, uh, you know. Was it, there any self-reflection <laughs> after this happened? You know, there there was a little, there was a little. Um, but I think the, the reason that, um, that my husband said that it was my moment was because, um, he's, we've been together like the whole time that I've been diabetic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were together in college when I was figuring out how to drink. And so I think, you know, he knows that I actually put some thought into it. Nah. Um, but my other friend, that that's the one that makes me nervous. <laughs> so, okay. So your husband had some perspective and he's like, I've actually seen Maya work really hard at understanding how alcohol affects her with her blood sugar. And your friend just went, Maya drinks a lot and she has diabetes. Is that? Yeah, that, <laughs> that is, that is how it went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see you thinking, Oh damn. Mm-hmm. So, um, my, I'll say it here because people won't know this before. Uh, this is going to be part of uh, sort of an After Dark series. We're going to talk to you about drinking today. Uh, later, we're going to talk to um, a, a professional pot smoker. And, uh, <laughs> and, and <laughs> since we're going to call you a pro drinker, and, um, and also going to get a, uh, a male and female adult on to uh, separately to talk about what it's like to have sex when you have diabetes, too. So um, we're going to do this whole little uh, trifecta of, um, of adult activities and diabetes. Um, but you and I are going to be a little looser while we're talking about this today. So there's going to be cursing in this episode. It'll all be beeped out. Um, but if you're one of those people who normally lives uh, a life where your kids are listening along with you or, or for the, the few people who tell me that they're like really young kids listen by themselves, which I, I think is awesome. This is probably not the episode for your kids to listen to. It'll be, you know, marked marked well in the title, and everybody will know ahead of time. Oh, oh, here we go. I just said to my daughter, she, she is lunch, and she said what? And then I wrote, when is sex? So, when is lunch? Sorry. When is sex? I didn't do that. Did I do that subconsciously while I was talking about the podcast, maybe? Must have. I, I mean, there are three letters in sex and five letters in lunch, so. <laughs> oh my God. You know. I don't know. Lee. It happened. She's so helpful. I don't know. Lee. Oh, because they did this award thing this morning. Um, so she's not heading to lunch now like I thought she was. So she needs to take in a couple of carbs here. Yeah, I'm drinking my juice box as we speak. Oh, apparently, Arden is going to be too because she's not on her way to lunch. Also, are have you hopped the rails? Are you um, running away from home on a train? <laughs> no, I am. Uh, I'm sitting in my car 
I teach yoga. Okay. And so I'm sitting in my car outside my yoga studio, which is right by the train tracks. But that should be the only train that passes us um, during our podcast today. Absolutely. So that will be good. That's totally fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it adds flavor. Um, cool. Yeah. I, yeah I, I actually have a great view. I'm right on the water. I'm on the waterfront. I'm in this nice park. It's really nice. Part of the country are you in? I, uh, I live in Washington State, nice. um, north of Seattle. So I'm up in Bellingham, which is you know, right in between Vancouver, British Columbia and Seattle. Gotcha. And so to start slow, because we're going to get into you and your diabetes for a second before we get to, you know, the other stuff, but any pause at all on your part? Like I'm looking for stigma. Like, is there any concern? Like I really can't go on a podcast that people could hear and talk about how much I drink or do you not? Oh no, no, not at all. Good. I don't think you should. (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody should feel self-conscious about who they are. Uh, but I just didn't know if it was something that gave you pause. If you thought, I don't know if I want to say that out loud. Would you have more more reservation saying something private about diabetes or another part of your life? Or do you feel like you're just an open person in general? I think I'm a pretty open person. I think, I don't know. I called my dad when you responded back and had a chuckle about how you saved all your funny questions for the podcast. And um, but I called my dad and I was like, dad, I'm going to be on a podcast and, and it's going to be about how much I drink. Oh, see, there was my low glucose alert. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I really don't. And I think, um, I think the reason is that if you know me, you, you should probably know most of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always just been kind of my opinion cool but Maya's referring yeah. to is that when she and I went back and forth a couple times because you know normally I'm just like hey would somebody like to come on they can talk about whatever they want but when you were coming on to talk about something specific I as soon as we started chatting back and forth the the questions started popping into my head and I stopped myself so I'm like I'm not going to do the podcast over like messenger y- y- you know where I'm like oh, what about <laughs> this? what's this like you know that kind of thing so um so how's your blood sugar Are you okay yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I had, uh, I had like 20 carbs and I should be all good to go. Nice. So you changed your pump, had yep. st- stopped the low and are doing a podcast <laughs> in your car. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. See people, they, this is for the, the newer diagnosed people who are just like, I don't understand. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> Maya's just like, if I had another hand, I could be brushing my hair. So, um, actually, you know, I just got out of the shower. I'll probably put on mascara while we talk too. <laughs> That's excellent. All right, so uh, my welcome to the show, uh, one of the longer preambles of any show is going to have. Uh, how old are you now? How old were you when you were diagnosed? I am 28, and I was diagnosed at 17. Um, so I just celebrated my 10-year anniversary in June. Congratulations. Yeah, you really I made it. <laughs> I made it. I'm still here. You are the perfect person for this. As you, I didn't know your age range uh, from diagnosis to now until just now, but you're perfect because you're in your later twenties. So mm-hmm. any of the incredibly stupid things you were going to do, you've probably done already. Uh, you've figured out which one of those things you're probably never going to do again. And which one of those things didn't, you know, wasn't so bad. And, yeah. and you were diagnosed right in, you know, right in a really kind of pivotal age. So, all right. Uh, let's talk about that. Were you a senior in high school or a junior? So I had 
actually just graduated from high school. I was diagnosed like two, three weeks after high school graduation. Okay. Were you almost 18? Uh, it was a couple months before I was 18. I'm, I'm an August baby. Oh, very nice. And so, yeah. yeah, that's so, okay. So you just graduated from high school. Were you planning on going mm-hmm. to college or what was your next step in your mind? Yeah. So it's a little, um, it's a little bit of an interesting situation. So I actually grew up overseas and I lived in New Delhi, India for all of my childhood. I moved there when I was six and lived there for my whole life. And I had just moved back to the U S to, um, go to college and uh, my parents were going to be staying in India and uh, I had, you know, like classic diagnosis of weight loss and everything, but um, kind of stacked on top of that was that I was in the uh, fashion industry and I was working as a model. And so I wasn't in school. I was exercising a lot. I was losing a little bit of weight and toning up. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, I never dieted and, and always was really pretty proud of myself for that. And, and I just tried to take good care of myself. And so I was like, wow, this is great. You know, they're going to be so happy at my agency that I'm a little bit thinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just kind of kept going. And I was like, well, this isn't super great. And, uh, and I knew I had a problem because my aunt threw me a graduation party and I peed my pants at the graduation party. And I was like, because I just had, so I was drinking and peeing so much. And I was like, oh my God, this is not good. And for clarity, not like I got drunk and peed my pants or I got excited and nope. peed my pants. It just happened. Like, you're like, I have to pee so bad. I can't stop it. Yeah. Yes. Like, and I just, I, you know, I, I wasn't drinking that night. I maybe had like a glass of champagne or something, you know, and we, we were having this like family event and I was like, okay, this has gone far enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd been dating my boyfriend for a while and he actually lived um, where I was moving and he was part of the reason that I was moving there. And I was planning on going to visit him and, and my mom was like, you can't go until you go to the doctor. And I was like, yeah, I probably have like a urinary tract infection or, you know, I'm taking supplements that aren't meshing with, you know, other medication that I'm taking or whatever. And I walked in and they were like, yeah, the nurse, like the doctor wasn't even there. She's like, yeah, you've got type one diabetes. She just knew right like, away? Right away. And my grandmother actually knew, which is so unfair. She goes, when you go into the doctor, have your HbA1c checked. Oh. I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, fancy you grandma. knew this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, seriously. <laughs> so um, so they're like, you're going to go drive. We, we were out in that. We live out in the, at that time, my, my folks had a place out in the county. And, and so we, they're like, you're going to go into the city and go to the hospital and, and I called my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and and I was like, "Hey, babe, I I they think I have diabetes. I'm going to the hospital." And I was in a kind of unique situation because my best friend in high school was type one diabetic, is type one diabetic, mm-hmm. and um and my my one of my first boyfriends was type one too, and so I had known both of them at the time that they were diagnosed. Well, maybe I didn't know Brendan when he was diagnosed, but I was, I was friends with Audrey when she was diagnosed. And, um, and so I remember what happened. It was like one day she was there and then she was gone and she was like missing for weeks. And then she came back and everything was different. And, and so I was just really like, Oh my gosh, what is about to happen to me? But I also had these examples of two humans who like lived pretty normal lives. So 
that gave me enough perspective to not totally panic. Um, and I was in that weird space of like, mom and dad are not going to be in my life in a month, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to be across the world. So I got to figure this out on my own. Um, and so I was in the hospital for, for two days. Um, and, uh, kind of figured everything out. My parents were like, how much do you want me to be involved? And, and the, uh, people at the hospital are like, you're turning 18 in a couple of months. Do you want to go through peds where your parents have to be involved? Or do you want to go through this as an adult? And I was like, I want to go through this as an adult. So, um, I'm in a unique situation where if my, I asked my mom how much insulin I needed to take for a meal, she would have no idea. Right. She would, she wouldn't know how to change a pod or, or do any of that stuff. So her um, I think it's, yeah, her perspective is as an adult, uh, as the parent of an adult person who was diagnosed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wonder for if sure. it was six months earlier what you would have said, like right before you graduated, like if you would have still felt, it's interesting, like it's such an, I mean, it's really cool that you chose, I'll do it on my own. Did they come with you even though you went through the adult path? They never went to an endo appointment with me. They were there at the hospital and, you know, being good parents about it, but they they never really went with me, but my boyfriend did. So for the per- first probably three years um, after I was diagnosed, he was at every endo appointment, every um, every CDE appointment, pump training and everything with me, which was super cool. See, um, lucky guy, really, because, you know, the secret is, is that guys are always looking for something to be involved in where you look sweet. And so he was mm-hmm. like, this is perfect for me. I could just go to these. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. But that's really, that's excellent because I, I'm even like, was he much older than, is he much older than you or are you guys the same? He's four years older than me. Okay. Because that's the other thing. Like when you, at 17, you're like, Hey, I have, you know, almost 18. Hey, I have a diabetes that he didn't go. I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. And then, you know, and, and was like, Oh, I wasn't up for this, but he's got enough, just enough adult life in him to, to not panic when he hears something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I've always been a person where if something didn't matter, I just didn't put any effort into it. You know, like I, if I, I was in, when I was in high school, you know, like if a class, I didn't find an, an application to what I was learning, I was just like, eh, whatever. And, and I always did okay. Um, but you know, I think that really suited my personality that diabetes really suited my personality because then suddenly this stuff mattered and, and I could apply myself to it. Um, and I was like, okay, so the American diabetes association in their pamphlet that they give new diagnosed type one says that you need a support network. And I'm like, okay, building support network, you know? Um, and so I think that that was really helpful. And I'm also super lucky because my husband was trained as a chef and, and at the time that I was diagnosed, he was a chef and he had a restaurant and we went to the restaurant and we carb counted, um, every meal, every menu item. Okay. So I could go and bolus for it. And so like the first, I don't know, I didn't eat anything else except for there for the first little bit because I could reliably bolus. Yeah. It was great. Probably helped you put some weight back on too. Nothing like eating. It. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nothing like eating oh, it out to gain a couple of pounds. 
I know. And it was all Italian food too. So I feel like everyone talks about this struggle with like pizza and pasta and whatever, but that was the first stuff I learned to bolus for. Mm -hmm. So I kind of dialed that in quick and then, you know, went back and was like, wait, how do I eat a salad? He did the hard, the hard stuff first. (laughs) And and by the way, I bet going backwards from more like carb intensive foods to less, you probably had a similar struggle adjusting from one to the others. Somebody would going from salad to pizza. I don't think it's much different. It's a, it's a big adjustment one way or the other, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was still learning a different way, you know, um, uh, of giving myself insulin yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, you've done a very unfair thing to me here. You've said a lot of really interesting things that don't have anything to do with drinking. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I have to, I'd be, you know, completely remiss if I didn't ask you why you were living in India. So my parents were teachers and they taught at an international school there. Okay. And, you know, when I was born, they were teaching at, uh, at an international school in Taiwan. Um, and then later on, they moved to India. We lived in the States for a couple of years in between, um, but they taught at the American school there. Very cool. And they're not like international jewel thieves who are hiding out overseas or something like that. They're just really teachers as far as you know. Um, not to my knowledge, but if they were, that would be cool. Yeah, as long as they leave you the jewels, I guess, at the end. I know, as and, long as I get them. And I have to say, too, again, I can't spend too much time on this, which is hurting me inside. Uh, but I am going to go back to India for a second before I ask him my second question. How did you find living there? Um, my, um, I, I have friends who have lived there. My wife's visited kind of extensively for work a couple of times. And I'm interested. I, I mean, it's kind of an unfair question because... I I don't know what it was like to grow up where you grew up. I lived there. I moved there when I was six and you know, like it was super cool. One year, my parents got like an elephant to come to my birthday party. Um, you know, like people always get a pony or whatever. And I got an elephant and that was super rad, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know because it was my whole life. I know that it was vastly different than my experience here. And, um, and so I think that was an incredible, you know, asset to me coming back to the States and having this global perspective. And, and I traveled back to the U S frequently as a kid. So I I didn't have that like big culture shock when I moved back, but, um, I, I definitely think that it gave me a global perspective and, and a lot of gratitude for, for what I do have, um, you know, like just on a basic level access to insulin, uh, because I, I definitely did, get to see a lot of hardship in my life. Um, but I also got to meet incredible human beings and, and travel so much as a little kid. And anyone who says that, that traveling with kids is not worth their time or money is just needs to reevaluate because, um, I've had so many, I had so many experiences when I was a little kid that really changed me, you know, getting to, to see the world. Um, well, I, I have, I guess I have some follow-up questions. Um, and they're not about drinking yet, but hold on. Trust me. We'll get there. Yeah, I promise. Right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess what is, you know, what's one thing that sticks out to you about India that you don't miss and something about here that you wish didn't exist? Well, we'll just start with something that I wish didn't exist, which is the price of insulin, because um, my parents were still living in India for a few years after my diagnosis, and I would go back and visit them and get my annual supply of insulin for $150. Wow, for the for like as long as you needed? For a year. A year, jeez, that's amazing. Yeah. 
Okay. It was insane. And it was the same insulin made in the same factory in the same vial. You know, yeah. it was nuts. That's something. What What about India? Like, so I'll give you a little perspective. My One of my daughter's best friends uh, is Indian. She goes home. Well, she doesn't go home. She goes to her parents' home uh, a couple of times a year. Sometimes they go for visits. And sometimes it's amazing. They go to shop for clothes and, you know, to, mm-hmm. to meet with people. And I said to her one day, I was like, Sanjana, what's the... You know, what's the worst part about India? Is there a bad part? And she goes, I have to poop in a hole when I stay at my grandmother's house. <laughs> and I go, uh, say again? And she goes, yeah, you go outside and, you know, dig a hole and poop in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. And she goes, it really isn't. And so, and then my my wife, when she visited um, for work the first time, I don't know where she was in fairness and what city she was in, but she sends me uh, a message one day and it just says, I have never seen so many penises in my entire life. And <laughs> I, I, I texted her back and I was like, Hey, two things. I think you sent this to the wrong person and I'd like to get divorced. And you know, and she was like, no, no, no. She's like, everyone pees on the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? She goes, when men are walking, if they have to pee, they turn to the curb and they pee and then they keep going. She's like, it is so pervasive that written on the walls of buildings, you know, it doesn't say no loitering. It says like, no, no urinating. And I was like, Oh, that is different. Um, yeah. is something that does not surprise you. Well, I mean, this is the thing I grew up with it. I mean, I started, you know, pooping in a hole when I was like six. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I remember not doing it. I, we had, we had a toilet at our house, but we, you know, like, I don't know. It was just always there. Didn't seem that that, that was hard for me when I came back was like, you know, there was a lot more like, Oh, you, you can't just use the restroom wherever you want or whatever. <laughs> there, there were things, there was, there was some culture shock, but I always explain it, you know, <laughs> with this, with the cereal aisle. Okay. So when I was growing up, you could go to this one little store in this big market and they had American food. Mm-hmm. And, and so you could go to the store and they had Cheerios. So you could go buy stale, super stale, expired Cheerios for, you know, like double the price that you'd buy them at a Safeway. Right. And, um, and when I'd come back to the States every year, there was like a new flavor of Cheerios. And by the time that I graduated from, high school, there were 13 different kinds of Cheerios. And I just thought that there were Cheerios. You know, I didn't know that, like, I was like, the what Cheer- is this stuff? The Cheerios world had grown without you? Can I ask? Yeah, you? and that was that was the rest of the world. Have you ever um, almost mistakenly back here in America, like, in a flower bed outside of McDonald's or something like that? Or does that never happen to you? <laughs> Luckily, that has never happened, no matter how much alcohol I've consumed. I was thinking, I'm like, it's completely possible that Maya could be drunk in public, think she's in India, and just be like, I know what I need to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, man, that's funny. So, sorry. <laughs> so here's a good time for a break. Arden's saying uh, lunch soon, so we're going to bowl us for Arden's lunch together. Chips. Um, she's asked me what's in there. So I've eliminated some processed foods from Arden's life this week because we're trying to figure something out. And she's Mm -hmm. not being exactly fun about it. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, she's going to be so pissed when I tell her what's in. So she has a sandwich and chips, 
um, bell pepper, carrots, uh, a little chocolate, and a banana. And I'm, I'm so hungry. And I said, she goes, did you give me real food? I'm so hungry. And I said, yes, some. And she goes, like what? And I told her, and she goes, so then no. <laughs> um, also, I'll tell you what. If she eats all that, can buy one thing from school. So for now, I think we'll do, let me try to think. Chips, 18, sandwich, 24. What's that? 40, 50, 60, banana, 70. Let's do 40 carbs, two hours, and 30 carbs, three hours. And then tell me if you buy something else. Sorry about this. Um, it's a little different than it has been. She gets That's a, okay. She's getting like muscle. She's like muscle cramps a lot in her shoulders and her neck. And, you know, we've done all of the conventional things that we can think of it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to alleviate it so sort of in a a wild swing i just removed like processed stuff for a couple days from her like not a lot like she still has some like natural potato chips i know people are like what are natural potato chips but there are potato chips that have like very very few additives yeah you know and um, i live in granola land okay i was gonna say you're in washington (laughs) yeah you've probably eaten a raw potato and somebody's like it's a potato chip and you're like no it's not don't (laughs) don't don't (laughs) tell me it's a toilet seriously yeah yeah, exactly so um uh diet ends She said, I'm glad we're cursing on this. And she goes, no, I can't because there's nothing here that fits in that f***ing diet. <laughs> uh, so I said, the diet ends tonight. She goes, so can I get a cookie? And I said, yes, let's see what the answer is going to be to that because I'm starving. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, Garden's a real carb kind of girl. You know what I mean? Um, Sometimes you just need a cookie. Yeah, no, no kidding. She did really well, actually. My stomach is eating itself. Aww. She's just full of shit. She just loves to, she said, okay. Um, so anyway, she just, she's just me in like a smaller female body. So she's just being a basically. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, some people listening are going to be like, I knew that guy was Now he's admitting. <laughs> I one time joked. That yeah, I, but you, go. you admitted it by calling your daughter a did I? It's hard to know what I did right there. I hear what you're saying that it's possible I, I didn't put it right on myself. One time I joked, I joked about an episode. I'm like, my, my ego really got away from me today. And I was so clearly joking around and somebody left a, a review that's like, see, he even admitted it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. India, a different place to live for, for, yeah. for certain. Um, so if we want to loop it back to drinking, okay. one of the crazy things about my me growing up was that I could go out to a bar. So, um, I mean, I don't think I, I don't even know what the drinking age was, but there was no restrictions on drinking. So, you know, people had birthday parties at 
at, you know, nightclubs and, and in high school, we would go out to the bar. Um, and my rule for my family was always that I could have a beer. I could drink a little, but I couldn't ever come home drunk. Um, and so that was already like part of my life coming to the States. I would like walk up to the counter at the grocery store at 18 years old, try to buy a bottle of wine. And I'm like, I can't do that here. (laughs) I'm imagining your parents having a parenting talk off to the side and they're like, you know, Maya looks, uh, she asked if she could get a beer and I don't know what to say. And one of them said, we make her in the hole. We should probably let her have a beer if she wants one. (laughs) (laughs) She's earned it. Yeah. You need to be a little drunk to plant your feet firmly and (laughs) kind of squat. Hey, you know what? While we're doing this, Maya, can you describe how you do poop in a hole? How does it go exactly? Well, um, I think the the big thing is, is that you develop special muscles, mm-hmm. um, and a little more hip flexibility, but you just, you just pop a squat, you know, <laughs> I mean, but is just it like, imagine you got to stay a little a bear. <laughs> um, I mean, I think they're, I mean, they're ergonomically laid out holes. There's normally like a foot pad on each side. A lot of them are like porcelain. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, there's like a little foot pad on each side and, and the hole's a little, you know, behind you and you just do your business. Um, but a lot of places don't have toilet paper and they have like a little, uh, sprayer. So you use a bidet instead of toilet paper, which, um, I miss that for sure. And can I, and, and well, first of all, people who love a bidet, uh, speak highly of them. And my other question is there's a custom in India, right? Like you don't shake hands with a certain hand because of the wiping, right? Yeah. Because you use the one hand to clean yourself and the other hand is for eating and, right. and greeting. It's so, so basically there's so much good that's come in this podcast already. We have not even talked about drinking yet. I in my, <laughs> in my mind want this subtext of this podcast episode to be, uh, does my <laughs> in the woods. Yes, she does. And so, um, <laughs> well, I, do, I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right now picturing the people listening to this at home going, Wait, did she say clean theirself with their hand and that's why they don't shake with a certain hand? And like everyone who didn't know that, I'm watching like in my mind right now them them process all that. Uh but yeah, that's uh that's 100% how that goes. Um Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. So I have to ask one I have to preface before I ask, right? So okay. my I'm not a drinker. And I don't just mean I'm not a drinker. I mean and I've said it on the podcast a couple of times, I don't drink. It's not for a, a moral reason. I haven't had a problem that I, you know, that I'm staying away from. It has just never really occurred to me to drink in my life. To the point where mm-hmm. I always say that I definitely have not had the, the, you know, a case of beer in total in my entire life. Like not even that much. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I've had hard liquor a few times, you know, which, which people would consider like, I don't know, whiskey or something like that. I don't particularly dislike it. Um, I just, it just doesn't occur to me. So I am going to be a complete neophyte on this, um, in a, in a lot of ways, but, but having said that, and and please understand, like, uh, you're not going to get a judgment out of me, but I am asking the question, right? Mm -hmm. As an adult now, do you, having the experience you would have had, if you were in the same situation, would you say to your kids, Hey, it's cool. Just have a beer when you go out or would you, you would be. So you don't see, you, you haven't had any, like, there's no scenario in your life where you're like, wow, someone should have kept that away from me for a little longer. 
I don't think so. I mean, I think my mom had the best torture mechanism ever if I would come home having too much to drink, which was that she would talk to me until I was sober. <laughs> so it would be like 4.30 in the morning and she's still chatting away and making me engage in conversation about my latest essay that I wrote for school. And it was just torture. So I didn't. Was she <laughs> with you or was she just trying to? Oh, yeah. You? Oh, yeah, she was. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. She She was just trying to make my life, you know, not so fun. But, uh, but no, she, that was a really good dissuader. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to drink too much and be forced to speak to my mom about current events. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it does make sense. I, again, yeah. I have, I have no, pro- I have like no perspective on it. Like my son doesn't drink at all. And when we talk about it, I, I do see that. I don't think it's because I told him not to. I think it's because it's just who he is. Like I, I look back now and I realize no one told me not to drink. Yeah. yeah I, that never happened in my life. Like no one ever said to me, you're going out. Don't forget you're underage. You can't like, it just never, I just went my way and you went yours and he, you know, like everybody goes on their own, I guess. Yeah. I think that really, if you want to be a, responsible about drinking, you need, you need to start to drink in places that are safe and not be afraid to ask questions because, um, I, I mean, I can't imagine being a teenager and getting drunk for the first time and already having diabetes. I, I already had had that experience by the time that I was diagnosed and I can only fathom that if you had, you know, a parent helping you manage, um, like really helping you manage your diabetes, that would be a really challenging experience. So I can only like hope that people and parents feel comfortable um, having that conversation with their kids and maybe even helping them figure it out. If, you know, it's like, okay, so how many carbs are in this beer? They don't have carb counts on them. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got to figure that stuff out on your own. There's no nutritional facts for alcohol. So, um, so I think, you know, being in that space where you have someone to help you figure it out is so helpful. Now, well, I, so as you're talking, you know, the, the serious side of parenting is coming up in my mind, right? Which is you don't, we, we do this a lot is we throw kids into situations that they're not prepared for because we don't want to talk about one of the things they need for preparation and whether that's around sex or drinking or drugs or anything like that, you can't just pretend someone's not going to do something. You, you know, like my, my son drove back to school the other day and I didn't say, you know, hey, be careful driving, you know, because I love you, buddy. I said, look, it's raining out and you drive fast and everyone drives fast and please don't follow closely. I don't think you do, but please don't. And here's why. And, you know, like like a little more context around it, not just be careful. You, you know what I mean? Like you can't just look somebody. I, I remember um, my wife would say when she would go out on a date, her mom would say, respect yourself. And that's, mm. not, that's not direction. Do you know what I mean? That's like th- your mom's like afraid to say to you, hey, you know, <laughs> well, I, actually, I guess we are talking pretty freely on this. I think that's yeah. your, your mom saying to you. Use hey, protection. Yeah, 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 use protection. Don't b- every guy that smiles at you. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Like really be respect. But wouldn't it be nice if there was context to that? Like from, yeah. from a parenting person, like a real person who would sit down I always have this kind of regret that my mom would talk to me in platitudes. And I wrote a, ch- mm-hmm. I wrote a parenting book and I spoke about it a little bit in there. But like, here was a woman who had the benefit of a life's worth of 
information and experiences. And then she would just tell me this surface that wasn't helpful. Like, why not Mm -hmm. sit down and tell me, yo, one time when I was 35, here's what happened to me and it was terrible. And here's why. And I think you could avoid it if you paid attention to this. Like, wouldn't that be great to get the benefit of someone's experience? Um, you, you know, and so I think I like what your parents did. And I think that if my son didn't have the vibe about him that he had, I would have stepped in and been like, all right, look, I'm not, you know, I don't know a lot about this, but we're going to help you because I feel like you're going to leave this house today and you're going to drink. I don't want to just cross my fingers and hope that all goes well. Yeah. And I mean, I think worst case scenario is that you're, you're, you know, I think it would have been way worse if I was hiding from my parents, Mm -hmm. you know, if I was, instead of coming home being like, Oh, I'm going to stay out and, you know, do, you know, go sleep at someone else's house. So no one knows. I think that's a, a trickier path. Right. Yeah. Um, I hear what you're saying. And I, I also hear what you're saying about like having drank before maybe you were diagnosed. So you had a tiny bit of expectation about what it was and you knew how, yeah. how to maintain yourself a little bit. And did you, when you were earlier, like you weren't just a blackout drunk, right? You didn't just like every time you drank, it wasn't till you couldn't see yourself anymore. No, I mean, I had to talk to my mom if I got that drunk. Do you think you would have had your mom not done what she did? You know, I mean, it definitely happened. I think, like, there were those moments when you're young and you don't know, you know, what you're drinking or not paying attention to how much. I mean, it happens where you get really drunk. Um, and, of course, now that's like the equivalent of one cocktail. And, and I, <laughs> I yeah. could definitely drink that because, you know, I have way more and I'm a, you know, adult who drinks a glass of wine with dinner every night. So two glasses of wine isn't going to make me blotto, but, um, but yeah, it happened for sure. And I think that, um, you know, I think that just setting the expectation, you know, the other thing that my parents would do is if I did come home drunk in the morning, my dad would put on formula one, which if you, you've never had a hangover Scott, but if you've had ever had a hangover, the sound of the race cars, like droning, for hours is like the worst hangover exacerbator on the planet. <laughs> your parents are going to, your parents will get a great job in hell one day torturing people. Uh, oh yeah. They have all kinds of good ideas. <laughs> they're great at it. I mean, they're awesome people. And, and I think those were really good, you know, kind of passive torture techniques. Yeah, no kidding. That's uh, I, so I see what you're saying. So they were kind of dinging you along the way, like making sure that um, you knew what was happening and, and that they were aware Um, it's just, I think that it's incredibly important for people to hear, you know, we'll get to the, how you manage the, the, the alcohol with, with insulin and everything. But I think it's incredibly important for people to hear who have younger children, because when you have younger kids, most people's expectations are like, yours going to be the one that comes out just perfect. You you, you know what I mean? Like some people, listen, some of your kids are such like monsters that you're like, no, no, it's not going to be my kid. I know my kid's on his way to something (laughs) else. But, but a lot of people have that feeling, right? Like you have this, like, I have a good plan, you know, we're putting effort in, it's going to work out. But you know, when kids go to a party and there are 40 and 50 high school kids at a party, 98% of them are drinking. You you know, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not like a few of them are like, if your kid's the one's like, oh, it's not me. And I'm like, now you're like, oh, but Scott says his kid doesn't like, I get that. Like, but there's going to be my kid there and he's going to have a couple friends with him and they're all going to be off in a corner, just not understanding drinking at all. And they'll hang out for a little bit and then they'll leave. And the rest of them are 
some level of drinking out of control because they don't have any expectation for what that means. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you, you need, you're going to need to be ready for this. Like if your 16 year old has diabetes right now is going out on the weekend, they're like, don't worry, we don't drink. I think it's probably still important for them to hear what Maya has to say about how to manage it. So I mean, I'll tell you, my best friend in high school had type one and she was out there drinking right next to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, you know, my boyfriend in high school had type one and, and he partied way harder than me. And do the, and, and you know, good. they're okay. <laughs> so it's going to okay. be okay. They live through it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so did they know what they were doing back then? Like were those people who had had diabetes for a long time or were they figuring out drinking with diabetes at the same time too? I don't know if either of them listen to the podcast and I don't want to like gotcha. make them feel bad, but I would say that now I would guess both of them have a pretty good handle on it. Mm-hmm. But back then I don't think that they did, yeah. but I also think, you know, we didn't have the tools that we have now, right? Like we didn't have continuous glucose monitoring. Yep. So, you know, I think on a baseline level, like just, you didn't, you couldn't look at your phone and see what your blood glucose was or set your phone alarms super loud so that, you know, if you did get low, you'd, you'd wake up. Um, so I think that that changed a lot. Um, especially when it comes to drinking, you know, it used to be kind of a, you want to ride a little higher, um, going, you know, going to bed at night because, uh, you didn't have any, alarm that was going to wake you up if you went low. Um, and now you can play it a little bit closer, you know, and, and set a temp basil and not stress about it too much. Um, but I think, yeah, I, so I I don't think that, that they necessarily had it figured out Mm -hmm. and no, neither of them ever had a major issue while I was there. You know, they, they did well enough. Well, you're talking even 10 years ago, you really are still speaking about a time with diabetes where the goal was don't feel dizzy, don't pass out, right? Like, oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's what it looked like back then. I just don't want yeah. I don't want to lose control of myself and pass out. I don't want to get too low. And, and yeah. Yeah. And so staying higher. I mean, if, if even today, people are being diagnosed today are being told like better high than low, like all that stuff. And that's still left over from that was the way like you just better high than low. And you know, We'll trade, you know, trade tomorrow it's for today. It's too, because yeah. how you feel is so, like, I can tell you that without ever, like, I have no knowledge of any blood glucose value from either of the two type ones that I interacted with every single day for years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you that they were not running, you know, good A1Cs. They weren't feeling good every day the amount of water that they drank and then the amount of, you know, times they use the restroom in the day compared to me as a non-diabetic at the time. Like I know that was not, those weren't good glucose values. And I, I don't begrudge them for that because what they were it was such a, it was what they were told and what they were taught, you know? No, nope, I understand. And even like when I was diagnosed, um, I think I did the math and I think I might've started the Omnipod around the same time as Arden. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the old bigger pods and, and I was so, I mean, it was like right when they were released pretty much. Um, and I loved the pod, but the tech just was not like that original PDM was like, 
it was like a brick. Oh, the you blue know? one with the heart, the heart made out of like hard plastic, even right? Like it felt yeah. like you dropped it. It was gonna break, and like yeah. Oh no, I did drop it, and it did break. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was made out of that kind of plastic, like um, like when you go to a bubble gum machine and get a ring out, you're like, if I squeeze this bubble too hard, this this it's good. It felt like that. It's just that gonna feeling. shatter. Yeah, yeah, I had that feeling about it. Now I hear you. Yeah. And then I got the original, the first Dexcom. Mm, mm. And I hated that. I only wore that thing for like maybe a month and was like, nope, that was a waste of $1,000. Right. And now which one, um, what do you use now? I'm on the G6. The G6. And I have the Omnipod. Right. And um, complete night and day from those things till now. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And I think, um, you know, with those tools, like you can look at yourself or your kid and be like, okay, if you're drinking, like let's shoot for, you know, you want to be at the high, higher end of your range. Well, for me, for me, which mm-hmm. would be around like 140 if I'm going to bed and I'm not setting a temp basil. Um, but honestly, the biggest thing for me in the last year has been starting to loop. If you think about um, my best blood glucose day, this is hilarious. I love this. My best blood glucose day since diagnosis was the 4th of July this year on loop. Okay. And you were, and I think had a drink or two maybe. Oh yeah. I was drinking. (laughs) I had jello shots. I had, you know, we had a couple bottles of champagne. It was great. But the thing was, is that what loop enabled me to do on that day versus on a regular day was I'd already done a lot of deep, like, settings testing and so my settings were really dialed in and um and I just input my carbs and I didn't touch it and it was the first time where I'd never like since I started looping because I started in June um it was the first time where I didn't fuss with it because I was so used to like you know oh like little temp basil here a little extra insulin there whatever and I just input my carbs and let loop loop. And it was amazing. Hey, your, set, um, your settings are very, like, right on then. Yeah, yeah, they're doing pretty good. I did a lot of testing, though. Like, I think my husband would tell you that I was just the biggest pain in the app because I basically, you know, only ate every other day for, like, three weeks trying to figure out <laughs> what my settings were. So you could, like, um, get a setting right without eating, like like a basal testing situation, and then you would like, all right, tomorrow I'm going to try it. And then you try it, like that didn't work. You'd make an adjustment, get it straight again, and then go back and try again. Yeah, that's really cool. Yep. That's cool. yeah. I like that a lot. All right, so listen, we're so far into this now. Um, how do you handle like like take the take you know a, a, an algorithm out of this scenario for a second and and you know just yeah. be a regular person with diabetes? When do you start thinking about drinking? And your blood sugar. Like, if you're going to be at dinner at six with a glass of wine, is that something you have to think about ahead of time? Or is that different than I'm going to go to a party at eight and when I walk in, I'm grabbing a glass and I'll probably have a glass in my hand of something all night long? Um, I think, honestly, I, I think one of the gifts of alcohol is that the thought can happen when you're holding your first drink in your hand. You don't... I. Most of the impact um, when we're talking about drinking and blood glucose, mm-hmm. it's all after the fact, right? It's that you talked about this with Jenny in your recent episode, yep. and you can go back and 
and listen to some of the science about why this happens, but you get low later. So um, unless you're drinking something where you know you need to pre-bolus or if you're starting out of range, you know, getting yourself into your desired range is helpful. Um, But I really think the nice part about alcohol is that the tricky part is delayed. So you can say, okay, so I'm going to have this drink. I'm going to give myself my insulin for whatever I'm drinking. Mm -hmm. And if it has carbs in it, and sometimes you don't, you know, I think for me, a light beer, I'm not bolusing for now. Everyone drinks those spike seltzers. I don't bolus for those. They only have, you know, one to two carbs in them. Um, a red wine. I don't normally bolus for, uh, dark beers don't have a ton of carbs, but some of those like lagers and, and, um, ales will be a little bit carbier. So I might give myself, you know, a unit here, a unit there. But what I'm really looking at is like, what time do I start drinking and how much do I drink? If I'm only having one drink, my liver's not going to be overwhelmed. I'm not going to need to set a temp basil later. Um, I, I'll probably just, if it's not, uh, you know, like a rum and Coke with however many carbs for your Coke, I'm not going to um, give myself any insulin for it. And I'm not going to uh, change my, my thought process later in the day. If, if I am drinking a little bit heavier, let's say I'm drinking uh, hard alcohol with a no carb mixer. So that's no insulin in, but a potential negative effect on my blood glucose um, or decrease in my blood glucose later on, then I'm saying, okay, well, I started, I had my first drink at 923 and, and four hours from there, I'll see, start to see a little decrease in my blood glucose. Um, and I actually, so because I was diagnosed between high school and college, one of the big things for me was I wanted to figure out how to be a college kid. I wanted to figure out how to just be like any other kid. And if that meant I wanted to go out and party or go on a weekend trip to Lake Tahoe or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be able to do that. And we didn't really have the Dexcom back then. And so I sat down on this big party weekend. Every was like four days of like drinking and water skiing and, you know, playing on the lake and, And I was trying, I was kind of running a little low on insulin and I didn't want to be like giving myself too much insulin. And then, um, then, you know, correcting lows and using more insulin than I needed. So I was like, I'm going to figure this out. So I took a shot of vodka and checked my blood sugar every, you know, 15 minutes for four hours and saw what it did. And I was like, okay. So at the end of that experiment, I said, Hey, if I take four shots of vodka, I get a free PB and J in four hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. You're pre, you're pre bolusing for a meal for a snack later, but yeah, pre bolusing yeah, for a snack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So set the alarm on your phone and be like, Hey, if you're not running a CGM, set an alarm on your phone and say, I had five drinks and I'm probably going to be tipsy or asleep. So I, I need to have a snack. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think now it's easy because just like your basal testing, you can test what different drinks do to your blood glucose, right? Right. Like you can say happy hour is the perfect place to do this. It starts at 2.30 p.m. You have a drink. It's hours before you're going to eat. You can 
have one beer and look and see what it does to your blood glucose and, and learn from it. And I think that is, it's just like everything else, right? It's like, don't beat yourself up if you don't get it right, but take what you learned. And this is the tricky part about drinking is that you have to remember that you learned something because your inhibitions are down and you're not paying attention. <laughs> now, what did I learn from this what did experiment I learn? with the vodka? I can't remember. I, know. I can't remember. So I went, I, I upped it from four shots to 10 shots and now it's all getting fuzzy. Um, <laughs> Well, you know what? It's it's interesting what you just said. Let me jump in for a second. It, it occurs to me that what you did was just perfect. And it, it would work too with food if food didn't keep you high for so long afterwards. Like, exactly. I, I just realized that if food impacted as quickly and went away like alcohol did, it would take us all like a week to sit down, have a great snack every night and figure out every one of our favorite foods. But it's yeah. it's the fact that food keeps you high afterwards that stops you from doing that experiment. Yeah, you don't get the low, right? Right. right yeah. And then, you know, you can't test it with, with uh, like with vodka, you don't have any carbs, so there is no initial spike, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have a mixer, it's just that drop later. And so even without insulin for vodka, there's a drop later. Yeah. And so can you tempt basil back earlier to try to avoid it, or is it unavoidable? It's just a little far out. So like what I've found is that if I temp basil in advance, I wind up high ah, because too I'm too aggressive. It's too soon. And it's not like a, there's not, everything you drink is different too. So if you have, you know, you might have two different kinds of cocktails or whatever. And then that's going to impact you a little bit differently. Um, so I haven't found a lot. I've had a lot of luck with that. However, what I have had a lot of luck with is just decreasing my basil a little bit overnight when I'm going to bed. So if I just decrease my basil, if I know I've got some insulin on board and I've got some alcohol on board, um, I'll just decrease my basil a little bit overnight. And I normally wake up in range. Um, so I have two questions around that is the, mm-hmm. is the biggest concern that you'll get really low and be drunk at the same time and can't help yourself. Is that like the, if you, if there was a thing that you're worried about, would that be the worry? I think that's honestly, for me, my biggest concern is impaired decision-making of like, do I input my carbs correctly for the Wendy's burger and frosty that I'm getting as my drunk munchy food on the way home, you know, when I make the Uber pullover, am I bolusing right for that? Mm. And, and the only times I've gotten myself into any sort of trouble has been when I gave myself like way too much or not enough insulin, except for there's this one story that I will tell you. So this is a great, um, diabetic in the wild story. Mm-hmm. I was at a water ski tournament, which are if there's any water ski- skiers out there, crazy parties. They're just huge parties with like a side of water skiing. Yes. Um, so I was at this water ski tournament and um, my Omnipod PDM, I dropped it and it shattered and it, it like exploded. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any bolus insulin. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. I was talking to my husband and well, then boyfriend, now husband. And I'm like, what do we do? You know? And he's like, well, none of us can drive. 
you know, <laughs> we're a little stuck we could, here no, right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all drunk. Like we could call a cab. It's going to cost, you know, a hundred bucks to get a cab out here and get you home, but we can do that. Or you can not drink or, you know, or, you know, not eat anything until someone's sober enough to drive. Like maybe we can find someone who's planning on going home and we're sitting there chatting and this kid comes up, Connor, and he's like, uh, you know, I'm type one, right? Like, what do you need? Did your meter break? And I was like, no, my pump broke. And he's like, I have an idea. So he gave me, he had an extra infusion site and my blood glucose was high. It was, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like probably like 250 or something. And he had an extra infusion site and he just had his one pump. So he popped his infusion site on me, which I do not medically recommend this and gave me a bolus with his, (laughs) with his pump. Don't worry. At the beginning, we're going to say that nothing you hear on the podcast is advice. It's, it's also, not advice. Yeah. You're also going to say that we're going to swear, but that was f-ing cool. Like that was so cool. We're still friends. And, and it was like this great moment of camaraderie, you know? And then in the morning, he, you know, he gave me a little extra hit for breakfast and it was, it was really great. Um, you just, because I still had my basal insulin from my pod. Right. I just couldn't bolus. You basically did the the diabetes version of like uh, guy in the action movies mask gets knocked off underwater and they share like a scuba mask on the way back up again. That is exactly what we did. That's very cool. I love that. Yeah. And, you th- and you were able to think of it drunk. So you are a professional drunk. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> How did you find Jenny's um, conversation about alcohol in that uh, in that episode? Did you find it pretty accurate to your experiences? Yeah, I did. I think, you know, I think there's this thing that happens where, you know, as we age, we become more reasonable and, and you're not going to drink like you did when you were young. And I think you can blame that on diabetes or you could start that sooner because of diabetes. I think generally being type one just makes you slightly more responsible than the average human um, and take a little bit more personal responsibility But I also think that it doesn't have to get in your way. And my number one advice for anyone ever, um, especially if you aren't familiar with alcohol and diabetes, is I make my DD, my designated driver, my designated diabetic. And I give them glucagon. I give them a bottle of a tube of frosting to put in the glove compartment of their car. um, And I let them know that they're responsible if something happens to me, just like if something were to happen to anyone else that night, you know, but if something happens to me, this is what you need to look out for. And I'm probably not too drunk. I'm probably low. So, um, that in college was a game changer for me. Always having someone who knew what was going on, um, where if something happened, they could help me. And I rarely used it, but I definitely did, um, hand my CGM off to people and was like, Hey, if this alarms, I am not hearing it right now. Like I am in some other universe mm-hmm. and I need you to like, come get me. You know, it's, I, I was wondering, is there a difference that someone's ever said to you between like, Hey, low looks di- like, how does low look different from drunk or vice versa? Or is it, are they hard to distinguish between? If you don't know what you're looking for, it's really hard to tell. And, and I will liken it to this. If you are not diabetic, you probably have experienced low blood glucose before and thought you were just starving. Yeah. Or pissed, right. Or angry sometimes. Yeah. 
Yeah. The minute you have type one, you begin to distinguish between the feeling of low and the feeling of hunger, mm-hmm. right? They're two separate feelings and they have a lot in common, but for most people, they're the same feeling. And I think for most people, if you look at a drunk person, you know, you know, though they're drunk, but it's going to look really similar to type ones. I think like a lot of times in the news, if someone, a type one has a seizure while they're driving and they get into an accident, they get characterized like a drunk driver, you know? And I, I think, um, it's that, that like cognitive mismatch. If my husband looks at me, he can tell you if I'm drunk or low, you know, um, mostly because I'm, he (laughs) has, he does. And and mostly because if I'm low, I am sweating profusely gotcha. and I'm shaky and my voice is, you know, wobbly. Mm-hmm. And if I'm just drunk, I'm just, you know, like slurring and, and having fun, <laughs> yeah. Happy but I don't have that like core shakiness, um, that comes with a low. Yeah. So, uh, I also think for me, it's, I can tell, I don't lose, um, hypo uh, awareness when I'm drunk, I can normally tell. Um, but can but you care? I haven't, that's tricky. Okay. <laughs> uh, but normally I can treat a low when I'm drunk. Uh, sometimes I can't catch a high. A lot of times I can feel when my blood glucose is, is trending upwards and I can't feel that so much when I'm drinking. But where I struggle is in the morning, especially now as I'm aging and my hangovers are getting worse. Um, in the morning when I have a hangover, which is when I'm most likely to be low, I have a hard time distinguishing my hangover from a low. Okay. Um, because, you know, you think about it, you're like, I'm shaky, I'm nauseous, my ver- vision is blurry, uh, my head hurts, I, I don't even want to look at any food or anything to drink right now, I just feel terrible, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how I feel when I'm hungover. So it's really the same. That's something where I start to lose a little bit of my awareness. Yeah. But at that point, I'm sober, so I can make good decisions. Do you have any tips and for not what, being hungover? Uh, I I always just stick with one thing when I drink, you know, like, and it also makes it easier to bolus if I can stick with the same type of alcohol, similar type of mixer. Um, that normally works really well. Yeah. I think if you don't want to be hungover, you just shouldn't drink that much traditionally. Uh, but I also just think that's a good guideline. Mm-hmm. And they always say, you know, beer before liquor, never been sicker. So right. <laughs> liquor before beer, you're in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you a drunk person thought of that. Now, I I, I, bet. <laughs> I have to tell you, it's. Uh, again, I, I genuinely mean absolutely no judgment. As you've been describing all this, and I'm listening to the joy in your voice, I, I I can't imagine like everything you've said. I think, oh God, I can't. I would never want to do that. Like that. Doesn't, that sounds. <laughs> that, 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 the the biggest thing I could come up with that I was like, oh wow, drunk girls in bikinis at a lake sounds fun. But like that was the that was the best part I could come up with anything. I wonder what it is in me because I really am not an uptight person at all. As a matter of fact, I do a pretty good job on this podcast of of reining myself in, in, you know, in ways you guys might not really know. I just, I, I just can't like, I can't imagine, like, I don't like the idea of being out of control of myself. I already think I say enough stupid stuff when I'm not like, not like not drunk. Like I don't, 
I always feel relaxed. Like I, I'm happy most of the time. Like, like I'm. But see, that's just it. That's it. Okay. People drink because they want to drop their guard. And if you're a person who walks around with your guard down and you're relaxed and you're happy and you don't need to like get your brain out of work mode, you know, I think for so many of us, we are so plugged into school or work or life and you, we have a hard time unplugging. So to at the end of a day, be able to sit down and have a glass of wine and just make that go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the drive, right? And I find people who are really relaxed and easygoing like you, uh, they tend to just not need a drink at the end of the day because they can choose to not be stressed about their work day. That makes so much sense. I was I was listening um, the other day to the Howard Stern show and it was out in Los Angeles for some special show and in studio was Snoop Dogg and Seth Rogen together. And <laughs> they made smoking weed sound like the best thing on the planet to the point where as you're listening to them, you're going, I should try this. Like, this seems like such a good idea. You know what I mean? Like no differently than when like somebody's telling you like, Oh gosh, you know, I, uh, I used to have a problem with this, but now I take vitamin D all the time and it's straight right out. And you're like, damn it. I'm going to get some vitamin D. This is like, that's, that was like the vibe it had when it was over. I was mm-hmm. like, and then when it ended and they weren't there talking in my ear anymore, I thought, I don't want to be high. <laughs> I was like, it was just, <laughs> it was so funny how quickly I went from like, Oh, that sounds like such a great idea it, because it really, they just described it in such a wonderful way. Like when you're talking about drinking, I'm like, this sounds wonderful. And then the minute you kind of wind down, I'm like, oh, all those drunk people. Like, like that's really. <laughs> well, but here's the other reason to drink. Right. Because if you're drinking, you can't tell that everyone around you is also drunk. That I believe. Yeah, no, I know. So that's... you don't get that like deep frustration with the drug people around you. Yeah. And that's amazing because I have an amazing tolerance for people. But when I get, when, when you lose that much of yourself, I'm just like, Oh, stop talking. Or sometimes you can get somebody right in the right space and you can chat with them. And they're just en- like endlessly entertaining to me because mm-hmm. they're not so gone that they can't keep their thoughts together, but they're just doing so many silly things we're like, Oh, it's like having a, it's like having a puppet show in front of me. <laughs> Just, oh yeah, much fun. for sure. Do you see a time in your life where it stops or do you think it's just part of who, like, do you, can you imagine like a 68 year old Maya at the lake, just like drinking and water skiing? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, is there, Oh yeah, that's the goal. That's the dream. <laughs> it's excellent. That really is. I mean, that's the dream. And I, I, I don't think, you know, like every year I probably drink less than I did the year before, mm-hmm. but I'm a social drinker. My husband and I love to cook and, and eat and drink. And, you know, I, it's nice to have a glass of wine at dinner. It's nice to last night we were, we got elected to the uh, board of our neighborhood association. And so, you know, we all sat around everyone who, who got elected and we had a beer together and it was like, you know, that's just great. And it's fun and it has camaraderie with it. And, and, I also don't have to drink. I, right now, um, my husband and I are, are getting ready to have a baby. And, um, and so I'm emotionally preparing myself to not drink for, you know, an extended period of time. And, and so I think, you know, it doesn't have to be a part of your life for you to have fun, but, but for us, it, it just is part of the way that we live our lives. Yeah. 
And I love sitting down with my parents and having a glass of wine. I love, um, you know, going and floating the river with my dad and drinking a case of beer. It's super fun and it's wonderful. It feels communal to you. Like it's, yeah, it's it does. Real, right. Do I seem uptight? Do I seem uptight to you when I say, oh my God, water and beer seems like you're trying to drown yourself to me. And <laughs> I, it's funny because I really am two different people inside. Like I have very <laughs> uptight feelings about some things. And then there are some things I'm just like, oh, I don't care. Like, I don't care that you drink and float on a tube. I have no like problem with it. I would never try to talk you out of it. But for my personal self, I'm thinking that sounds like a recipe for disaster. And and it's just, and, um, obviously it's not, you're doing very well and everything's fine. You figured it out. Um, you know, and you, you know what you're doing, obviously. I just like, there's weird things. Like I just have very, I don't know what it is. I have no bad stories. My parents weren't alcoholics, like, like nothing weird. Like I've never, I've never had one reason for me to tell you this, but I was, God, I was 13. The first time I went to a party where there was drinking and I went into this party and I was milling around a little bit and I'm trying to talk and I realized nobody's here to talk and I'm like okay and they were drinking and I swear to you 15 minutes later I found my way upstairs I found a telephone I called my dad and I was like you gotta come get me I'm like I I, I just I, I don't belong here like that's how it felt to me I was like I this is not the right place for me and I left and I think that was probably like one of the few times I've ever been in that scenario ever um and I yeah you know it's just very strange how because what you're saying, again, to me right now, you're Seth Rogen and Snoop Dogg rolled up into one. Yeah. I'm like, Maya is making a strong case for me to have a glass of wine at dinner tonight. And and, and, I'm, and I'm feeling like it's such a great idea. But I know if I went – I have wine in my house. If I, It's so that I can hand it to other people when they're here. But, but um, <laughs> I always go, I don't know. Take one. <laughs> like that's Just take the one out you think is right. But I know that I won't do it. It's so weird. I'm now wondering what's wrong with me, to be perfectly honest, in case you're wondering where my brain is at the moment. Um, I mean, I know plenty of people who don't drink. And I think it, it just you just have to be the person who is the relaxed person who's not, you know, doesn't if you don't need it, you don't need it. And if and and if you had it, then maybe you might know that you would like to have a, or like the feeling of having had a few drinks. Mm. But I, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, you know yourself. And if you're listening to your body, I think that's another thing about diabetes and drinking specifically is that as a type one, you learn your body so much better than like a a muggle. Right. No, for sure. And, and so, uh, I think you develop these spidey senses for when things are going wrong in your body Mm. and things aren't right. And it makes it really easy to be like, okay, that's my last drink, Yeah, you know? And, and, and that comes from self-awareness, right? Mm. People who aren't type one, they develop that too. But I think we just innately have it because we spend so much time asking ourselves how we feel. Um, it is so I think that's, that's part of it too. It feels important. I want to say two more things cause I know you're going to have to go, but I, um, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. good. I've got time. It feels yeah. incredibly important to me to point out the difference too, between like, you just said something like, I know when it's time to stop and I just stop, which is a great indication that you're, you know, you're drinking the way you mean to be, that you're not, you know, that you don't have, 
you know, I, I guess there are people probably go back and forth on it. For me, alcoholism seems like a disease. And, and yeah. I know alcoholics who they could, their face could be on fire, but they would still just keep drinking. Like if it was there, they wouldn't stop. But you, you have the ability to just say like, oh, cool, I'm done now and I'm done. And that's it. And yeah. I guess even that's a comfort to you. Like if, that you don't, I, I guess if you were an alcoholic, you would just, you'd be in a different scenario. You wouldn't be having this conversation like this. So, but it is, you know, because I can, I can feel people in my minds listening and going, you know, drinking's not funny because my dad's an alcoholic or I'm an alcoholic or something like that. I want to be clear. That's not what we're talking about right now. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I am not, yeah. I'm not talking about that. And so I do feel like some people could kind of commingle those two ideas. I, to me, they're, these are, they would be two completely different conversations. Yeah, for sure. And, and I definitely, my grandfather was an alcoholic and my mom never really drank. So, cause her dad had a drinking problem and it's been really interesting to see as, you know, me and my sister have gotten older and, um, and we're both social drinkers. You know, my mom was always the person who would like open a beer. She liked it, but she would never finish it. And now to watch her like have two glasses of wine or have a, you know, make a Moscow mule for herself at the house because she is interacting with social drinkers mm -hmm. because that was never on the table for her. Right. She didn't know that that was a way that you could do it. She was afraid. She was afraid to drink. She thought she'd end up being an alcoholic. Yeah. Because yeah. the only example she had of somebody who did drink right. had a problem. And that doesn't mean that everyone who has alcoholic parents should go out and start socially drinking. But I, 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 I wonder, I wonder if I've been avoiding this for no reason. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, seriously. It's, not, it's not Maya's goal to like create a whole bunch of alcoholics out of people who have been holding really tight their whole life. But it's a great, no. it's a great point though. But if you know, like you don't have to go have a bottle of whiskey, you can have a Manhattan mm -hmm. and see what happens. Uh, and set yourself up for success. Like, okay, we're going to try and figure this out. It's the same as anything else. And if you go slow, you'll figure out what works for you. And maybe that's having one drink at a time. Yeah. You I know, think, you where, know, where the risks are low. Right. If you would have just said to me, do you know what a Moscow mule is? I think I would have guessed a sexual position you saw on a weird old porno. <laughs> like, I don't know what I would have said exactly. I don't, I don't think I would have guessed the drink just in case you're wondering. I was like, fascinating. That's Did you Google it? No, I'm just sitting here listening to you. It's and ginger beer and vodka with lime. Okay. I, I, if, if this, this, it's a shame because the title of this episode is going to have to be more descriptive because if it didn't have to be, it would totally be called Moscow Mule, just so you know. Um, I would have 100% go with that. I, um, I really appreciate this, by the way. Like, you seriously are – this is a void in this space that I can tell from the, the position I'm in, that no one ever – this is the kind of stuff no one ever speaks about. And and if they do, they do it in tight circles. You, you, you know what I mean? So then yeah. everyone else doesn't get to hear about it. I think that what I learned here from you today is that I need to be clear with Arden – that if she's going to drink, we need to talk about it first. I'm not just going to pretend she's going to end up being like my son or like me or something like that because of the of all the reasons that you outlined and that we're going to have to sit down and figure out how to make these different alcohols work with insulin and, and that. Because even as you were, I asked you earlier, I said something that was so like, oh, couldn't you just set a temp basal? 
but that was me not realizing that that temp basil would need to be three hours into you drinking. And how are you really going to be like cognitive about it at that point? Like, do you know what I mean? Like four, yeah. four drinks into your party, you're not going to be like, you know what I need? I need a temp basil decrease of about 50% from I'm going to say about three. See, but this is where Arden is lucky, right? If she wants to go have a beer, she can be like, hey, dad, had my first beer, set my temp basil in three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, and it's so, you, uh, Remote yeah. override, Jojo. You're like my Snoop Dogg <laughs> with drinking at this point is what I'm realizing. Um, ser- seriously, so what do you, what's the rest of your day look like? Are you, you haven't been drinking while we're talking. You're going to work. No, no, it is, uh, it's, it's like nine in the morning here. So no, no drinks yet. I had a cup of chai this morning. Um, I'm going to go teach a couple yoga classes and, um, that's kind of what the rest of my day has in store. So yeah. Cool. I have a question about that. If I could, it's nowhere near drinking. And I actually have two questions. Did you hear the episode that I'm doing where it's going to be four times with a person who's pregnant. We did their first try after their first trimester. We're going to do after the second. Yes. Do you, do you like that? So idea? exciting. Good. I love it. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah. Arden is supposed to be starting up yoga, but she wants uh-huh. to start in the house. Is there, a okay. way, is there a way for her to do that? Like sort of get into it on her own? Yeah. There's a lot of like different kinds of apps. YouTube is a really good resource. Okay. Um, especially if she's working on something specific, you can hop on YouTube and search like, you know, yoga for shoulder mobility or yoga for back pain or whatever. And there's a million options. Okay. Uh, there are also like subscription services that you can do online that have, you know, series that you can follow where you have lots of different classes to try, but you can definitely you know, find a great, uh, great yoga practice at home. I think it's a really wonderful way to start because it can be intimidating to walk into a room with a whole bunch of other people who know what they're doing. And you're like, uh, what? No, I, <laughs> you told I me to agree. Yeah. 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 Okay. You want me to put my leg behind my head and I can't do that. I, you know, I, I can't do that. And I don't know any of you and no, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, know. I wouldn't, I would completely agree. It's hard enough to walk into a gym and start doing something that you're on your, on your feet for or seated on something that looks like it means to be sat on to done, like, you know, on the floor, on a mat, um, having never done it before. I think that's kind of her, her, yeah. her, her impediment with it right now. She's, I think she might be embarrassed, but, um, that's why I was asking if there was a good way that you thought of. Um, Yeah, but I also would say, like, most yoga instructors, any yoga instructor who's, you know, worth going to is going to be so excited to have her in their class, right? I think I love having new students. I love working through their injuries and figuring out how their body works and moves and how we need to accommodate for their individual body. And that's something you can't get when you hop online. You can get the poses, right, and figure out what's down dog, what's you know, chaturanga, but you know, having someone to work with you and, and figure out your body, especially since she's an athlete is so helpful. Cool. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You were yeah. terrific. I really, first of all, tell your friend and your husband, they're hundred percent, right? You were the right person. <laughs> you were the right person for this. Um, not just because of your, you know, your drinking, but because of your ability to talk about it and how open and clear you were really, really appreciate this. You took something that I have absolutely no context for and gave me context around it. And I think you did that for a lot of other people too. Really well done. Thank you. After every episode, I 
take a moment to thank the person that I've spoken with, but maybe no more big, what the f am I saying? It might be, how come I can't talk? Mother f In this situation, I mean it times a hundred. Maya came on to talk about something that some people might judge her about. And she knew that going into this, and that really is brave, because she's trying to bring good information to the people living with type 1 diabetes. So I commend Maya for coming on, and I want her to know how much I appreciate it. Last couple things, if you're looking for Juice Box Podcast merchandise or something to wear for Diabetes Awareness Month that'll start a conversation about type 1 diabetes, check out juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down to merch. And as you heard me say earlier, I would like to keep this After Dark series going a little longer. I'm looking for a, uh, a smoker to come on and talk about balancing type 1 diabetes with pot, weed, ganja, grass. What do you kids call it nowadays? Anyway, looking for somebody who has type 1 who smokes regularly, who can kind of, you know, talk about it in an open way. And I'm looking for two adults, one male and one female, so we can get both perspectives, who are comfortable coming onto the show and talking about f***ing with type 1 diabetes. I want to know all about the psychological part and the mechanical part and everything in between. The stuff that maybe people don't think about that you know about. You know, like what's it like to bump your nose into a CGM when you think you're going to bump it into a Okay, that's pretty much it. See you next week.